0: Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor and subscribe to the John Con Report wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on YouTube as well. Go to Empire Media. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. It's Empire Media, IRE. It would be much appreciated. Today, I'm joined by longtime NFL reporter, Peter King, who writes the always informative Football Morning in America column every Monday. Of course, he used to work for a long time for Sports Illustrated. We discuss his memories of RFK Stadium, Dan Snyder, Joe Jacoby, and Brian Mitchell when it comes to the Hall of Fame. Also, his confidence in Carson Wentz reviving his career, and why Peter thinks it can happen. You can follow Peter on Twitter at Peter underscore King, and you can read my work, of course, on ESPN.com. I will be out at OTA practice this week. I'm feeling a lot better, still get get tired rather easily, but certainly more than capable of working, so I look forward to discussing what I see finally on Wednesday's podcast. The team is going to conduct, before I get going, I'll just throw this little nugget out there. The team is going to conduct a search for a new mascot and announce it in late December. I'll be curious to see how much they truly rely on fan engagement, as they say, and also the direction this takes. Would they stick with something that ties to their past somehow? Maybe a, a hog in an army helmet? I don't know. Maybe that's already out there. But look for details later this summer. And i also be curious to see what enthusiasm there is for this. I think probably some of it's going to be tied to how well is this team doing? They have a lot of things planned for the season. They have some whiteouts, some blackouts. I think that's a little bit risky, given that they haven't been able to fill the stadium. And when they have, that they've been had a lot more opposing fans. So how is it going to play? We'll see. But again, go out there and win and draw fans. Anyway, I don't have much to add. So let's get to my conversation with longtime NFL reporter Peter King. Peter I'm really appreciative of you joining me and for anybody listening you got to read the Football Morning America I'm sure you all do it's been a staple for years and first of all as a fellow reporter and writer I admire the energy that it has to take to continue to do this year after year every week I don't like do you drink more coffee these days <clears throat> do you do you how do you compensate for you get older and it's harder to work into the night like that. How, well, John,
1: do- the difference now, quite honestly, is that I only write one day a week. So I, I really think when I was doing the MMQB and working full time at Sports Illustrated, the last five years where I did both that website and this column, I'm not saying it took X number of years off my life, but my sleeping habits were terrible. um, And I did, I drank way too much coffee in those days. But what I've done now, honestly, and what I'm going to continue to do this coming year, is that I basically write my column over a two or three day period. And uh, when when you do that, and when you have other things in the column that can be done earlier in the week, like answering the mail and all that other stuff. Then when you get to one o'clock on Sunday afternoon, you've already got 4,000 words in the bank. So then it's a sprint over the next say 13 hours to get another five or 6,000 words. And that's basically how I do it.
0: But that's, you make it sound like one day a week. That's a lot for one day a week. That That's what I mean. So it's it, I deeply admire What you're able to do with it. Thank you. So, but let's go to the field. And and starting in Washington, there's so much to touch on here, but I want to start in the field. And first, for you, as someone who's covered this industry a long time, and I asked Bob Glauber this several months ago, how weird has it been for you to watch what's gone on in the NFC East and also this franchise in particular over the years?
1: Well, John, I started covering the NFC East in 1985. Uh, When I was hired by Newsday to cover the Giants and to write an NFL column. And so when I think back to those days, one of the things that I remember vividly, and I mean vividly, is the trips to RFK Stadium. Those were some of my best memories covering the NFL by far. Because if you if you think about it, John, the one thing about that level of fervor for a team that's so different than today is, and so I'm sure that people who, uh, you know, will remember RFK will remember that when there were big moments in the fourth quarter of Big fourth quarters of big games, the stadium would shake. It would reverberate. We'd be up in the press box, um, and you know, which was a little microscopic press box, really. We'd be up in the press box, and the first time it happened, I said, "Oh my God, this stadium's going to collapse!" <laughs> and and you know, and I just remember every game that I ever covered there, uh, the day of the game, if it was a Sunday, I think I covered two Monday night games there, but the day of the game, if it was a Sunday, uh, just devouring every word in the Washington Post, uh, you know, getting ready for the game. And then oftentimes uh, I'd either take a cab or, or, or get a ride there and get dropped off. And as you're walking the last few hundred yards to the stadium, one thing that really stuck out to me is how important it was to everybody there. It just was, uh, they were, that was as big an event town as Green Bay is with the Packers. It just was. And I think one of the reasons why I've been so down on Daniel Snyder is that, and I'm not saying he alone ruined that, but far and away, he's the biggest contributor to ruining what happened to a once great cornerstone NFL franchise. And it's just, I don't, I'm not trying to throw darts at anybody, but I mean, it's just, anybody can look at this. It's a fact. Mm -hmm. His reign of ownership has been an abject disaster And if he had one shred of decency, he would say, I've got to sell this. If I really love this team and I really love this town for the good of the people who live here, who love this team, I've got to sell this team and we've got to move on. But obviously he's not doing that.
0: What do you hear from other owners around the league about any of that and about, because there's obviously, you know, owners get frustrated and you hear a lot of things, Where do you think they're at with whether it's wanting him to sell or versus forcing him to sell and having the votes to get him to sell?
1: I think it's going to be very difficult unless something very untoward surfaces in this latest complaint uh, against him, sexual harassment. Uh, I think it's going to be difficult because even though everything that he's done uh, really amounts to uh, you know, a scandal uh, or everything that has happened in his organization amounts to a scandal. Um, I'm not sure it rises to the level of uh, getting the franchise stripped from him. And so I think most owners are pragmatic about it mm-hmm. uh, until something more happens than what has surfaced to this point. You know, and obviously there was some excellent reporting by the Post and uh, about, uh, you know, all the women who felt uh, abused and belittled and demeaned by members of the staff and or uh, members of, uh, you know, Daniel Snyder's inner circle, including Snyder. You know, I just don't think it rises to the level of being able to take the franchise away from it.
0: Do you think that, you know, and again, we're going to, I'll stay on the Snyder part for a few minutes here. What do you think, what kind of teeth do you think the congressional hearing will have? And do you expect Snyder and Goodell to show up for that?
1: I would be surprised if Snyder showed up without a subpoena. You know, he's, can you imagine if they start berating Daniel Snyder? He will... He'll fight back, yeah, and his attorney has to be thinking there is no way I am allowing my client to appear before Congress to get the crap beat out of him. I'm not allowing that to happen now I'm unsure if that uh, if that group uh, has the ability to subpoena Daniel Snyder we'll see, but I think there's a much better chance of Goodell appearing. I don't know if he will or not, but I mean, you know, Roger Goodell, even though I'm sure that Daniel Snyder feels some level of uh, abandonment by some in the NFL and probably sometimes by Goodell, I think most of the rest of us thought that Uh, finding him 10 million and not suspending him was a slap on the wrist for what happened with the organization. But I'm sure you hear it, John, that he thought that he got waylaid by this and, 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 but, but whatever, can you imagine what Roger Goodell must be feeling at the prospect? I have to go in there and take fastballs to the head because of this idiot I mean, think about that. Think what Roger Goodell would be thinking. I have to take a day out of my life to go to Washington and to get prepared from our attorneys to appear before Congress in what will be on every uh, channel in Washington and, you know, will be a huge story on ESPN and everywhere. And I have to do that because of Daniel Snyder. It's just, you know... I I just I'm I'm shocked, honestly, at the whole scenario and shocked of, you know, what happened to this team. And I just honestly, I just hope that Jason Wright, uh, who is who is a very good person and who's a uh, who's an earnest, uh, hardworking, serious about this franchise guy. I just hope that he can find some way to turn it around. I mean, I find myself, look, I root for the teams that need to turn around. And and I and it's a weird thing to say. A few years ago, I was thinking about how bad the teams in the Rust Belt generally were like, you know, we call it the Rust Belt, but right. Buffalo, Cleveland, Detroit. And I it isn't I don't I don't root for any team per se. I just don't I don't like it if a team has been horrible forever, right? You know, so like this year, I'd love to see the lions get turned around, you know, they're, they're poor fans, how much they've suffered. And I never thought in a million years, I'd say the same thing about Washington, but that's almost the way I feel about them now.
0: Well, I was going to ask you too, you brought up Jason, Wright, Also Ron Rivera here. Do they, do you feel like there's that they have the right people in place to maybe get something going here?
1: I think they do. I mean, you know, it's, you know, John, as you know, I, the way I kind of feel about NFL franchises is, you know, Zach Taylor was a, was a, a far better coach when he had Joe Burrow for right. 17 games. Right. And Ron Rivera is probably going to be a much better coach with Carson Wentz as his quarterback. Versus sort of the, you know, the collection of quarterbacks he's had to use the last couple of years. So I guess I kind of look at it like I think Ron Rivera is a fine coach. I really do. But if Carson Wentz can't come back from a horrible end of the season last year in Indianapolis, if he is a C minus quarterback, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to Rivera. I don't know what will happen to the staff. I don't know who is going to get blown out, but it, 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 it all depends on the quarterback. Now, I definitely think Rivera, in terms of temperament, is a great guy to be the coach of this team because he can take all the punching bag crap that he's got to deal with, yeah. as can Jason Wright. And uh, for how long, I don't know. But I don't think it'd be good for Ron Rivera if they went 5-12 and 12 this year.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you look at Carson Wentz, because we hear a lot about how he was in the locker room, you hear a lot about this and about that, but you hear, a lot of, you, you hear that sometimes too with other quarterbacks who have had success. Right. You know that the you know, and I think there's this perception that maybe like, oh, you just have to be this great guy among all the players, but it's not always the case. Do you think he can turn on based on what you know, what you hear, can he be the guy still um, at this level? And and how good do you think he could be?
1: I definitely give him a shot. I mean, John, you know what people don't know about what happened in Indianapolis last year? This is something that I remember you know, from very early on, the early days of Wentz in Indianapolis, Frank Reich really wanted Carson Wentz. He thought it was a two-year reclamation project, right. okay? Not one year. And so Frank Reich basically settled into just the, the simple knowledge, the simple fact that he was going to have a couple of years with Carson Wentz, at least, okay? But what ended up happening was, I think that the end of his season and the opinion of Jim Irsay about Wentz, um, you know, sort of the end of his season really just killed Wentz in Indianapolis. And, And I think one of the things that, that probably, you know, hurt him, you know, as much as anything, is just the simple fact that he had an owner who uh, had totally lost faith in him. Right. And although, although, uh, you know, Jim Irsay does leave the football up to Chris Ballard and Frank Reich. He does do that, but he's not a shrinking violet when it comes to making his opinion known. And I think, honestly, you know, when down the stretch of the season, you know, you miss a game due to COVID. And then, you know, you're all apologetic about missing a game due to COVID and said, you know, I think many in the organization felt, hey, dude, dude don't give us your apologies about missing the game due to COVID. just stop. You're the one who had it in your control to get vaccinated. You chose not to, and we suffered. And, and then the way he ended the season against Vegas, uh, against Jacksonville, uh, just simply not making enough big plays, it doomed him. And so I think, I think, Mike Mike Florio said this, and I totally totally agree with him. Uh, and I think the Colts agree with him too. That the best thing that could happen to Carson Wentz is to go somewhere where he doesn't have a godfather there. You know, he right. got drafted in Philadelphia, where Frank Reich and Doug Peterson. Honestly, if you can't play for Frank Reich and Doug Peterson, you've got to go go start. You got to go be a professional bowler. I mean, you know, they they are the greatest coaches to play for, particularly Reich. But at the end of his time in Philadelphia, he got crossways with Doug Peterson. How possibly you can do that is beyond me. And I think it was immaturity on his part. Um, and the fact that he never, look, he'll never say this, you know, John, but Carson Wentz did not recover from it being Nick Foles with the statue outside the link and not him. He just didn't, he did not respond well to the fact that he was drafted to be the man. And he was on his way to being the man and maybe on his way to winning a Super Bowl. And he got hurt. Unfortunately, that's the way the game goes sometimes. And then he just couldn't deal with the fact that somebody else won the Super Bowl that should have been his. I doubt he'll admit that, but that's what happened. And so, you know, look, he needs to go somewhere where it is a totally fresh start and he doesn't have the the sort of the 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 the, the put your arm around my shoulder and everything is going to be OK. Carson, he needs to go prove himself somewhere. And I happen to think there's a good chance he'll be able to do it. And, you know, he certainly is going to have the opportunity in Washington. There is no backup plan, really. You know, this is going to be his team for either one or two years. And it was Troy Aikman who said it recently. This is it. Right. This is last best chance. Uh, you know, if you don't want to end up being Ryan Fitzpatrick and being a backup, you know, for 15 years, now's the time to do something about it.
0: Do you think they have enough around him to make him that effective? And how do you feel they stack up in the NFC East?
1: I mean, I think they definitely have the ability to be competitive in that division. They've shown the ability. They have very, they have an, a very, very good defensive front, obviously, uh, and so they're going to be competitive defensively. I think, regardless of what happens, uh, on offense. Um, and you know, let's just talk about this year. It's hard to know really what the future holds, but when you've got a defensive front of, you know, chase young Montez sweat on the outside and, and Payne and Allen, I guess would be the two inside guys to start. I mean, that's really, really good. They're not quite as good in the secondary, obviously. Um, I mean, they're just okay back there, but I do think they're going to be able to get enough pressure uh, to be a real significant force, you know, defensively. Now, I think a lot of what happens on this team is going to depend on, you know, obviously, you know, you've got uh, Terry McLaurin Um, who is the standard bearer for this offense. But obviously, you know, with Dotson uh, and Curtis Samuel, you know, you just really don't know. You you know, you think you're going to be okay and you're going to be pretty deep, uh, you know, at at the receiver position. But compared to everybody else in the division, uh, you know, particular, I mean, Philadelphia is better at receiver Dallas is better at receiver the giants. I have no idea what they are. I, you know, because who is Kadarius Tony? I have no idea who is Kenny Galladay going to be available. I don't know. We'll see, but, but I just look at, they, they, they can be competitive. They can be good enough on offense. Their line is good enough and you know, they should have enough tools you know, to have Carson Wentz be successful.
0: Okay, we got a couple minutes left. So I wanted to get to some of the Hall of Fame stuff too, because a lot of fans here, obviously, yep. as you know, every fan base feels like their guy gets slighted by the Hall of Fame. So, but I am curious about two guys in particular, Joe Jacoby, then Brian Mitchell with with Jake. What do you think held him up to getting in the Hall? And what do you think maybe the chances are would be with the senior committee down the road for him?
1: He's got some champions in the room without any question. Uh, and probably I am a little bit colored by the fact that, you know, I covered a lot of Giants games in those days against Washington, you know, where Lawrence Taylor, I'm not saying Lawrence, Lawrence Taylor didn't dominate Joe Jacoby. It was a competitive thing. Uh, and, uh, I think Joe Jacoby at the time was one of the best tackles in the NFL, If he got in, I don't think it would be a great, or if he got in, I don't think it would be a bad move. I'm just pretty lukewarm about his case, John. Um, Because I think that, I think, and look, you're right when you say that a lot of fan bases get passionate about their guys. I get campaigned every year for Carl Mecklenburg, or for years I did Carl Mecklenburg and Randy Gratishar, you know, in Denver and, and and everybody has got everybody has got some people who they are very very pent up about, and Jacoby is the guy. And look, I realize that I'm the guy on the dartboard for a lot of Washington fans because of the Art Monk days. Sure. And um, and look, I think if if we are to do a good job in voting for the Hall of Fame. And in Art Monk's last year, I voted for him uh, because I saw the, the, the groundswell of support and I sort of compared him to kind of the Harry Carson of the New York Giants and, you know, as sort of that kind of leader. Right. And, uh, you know, not necessarily a holler guy, but just a real leader of that team. Uh, and so I voted for him, but... I am when I covered those games John Gary Clark and Ricky Sanders were the guys who the Giants were worried about those are the guys who had the big games against the Giants many times and I don't remember the stats but that's that memory was fresh in my mind and so I think that those are the things that it's not easy to sit there against the groundswell but if you can't sit there against the groundswell and vote your conscience, you shouldn't be on the committee.
0: Absolutely. Brian Mitchell. Now, this is a tough yeah. one because returners aren't getting in there. And, and I wonder how his is tied to a Devin Hester maybe getting in. Do you see a chance? And the one thing I always like with Brian is he filled four or five roles for them and he filled them very well. And more so than this is a returner. But how do you see the candidacy for guy for Brian Mitchell? Um, how important is it for him to, for Hester to get in um, as well.
1: I was in favor of Devin Hester's case. Look, uh, and I think eventually Devin Hester's going to get in. I don't know when, uh, but uh, he's going to get in at some point. And yeah, I think it would be significant because uh, if you're not really electing and enshrining return men It's hard to, in my opinion, to have somebody go in over Devin Hester. So, yes, him going in, I think, would really help Mitchell.
0: Do you think he has a shot?
1: Yes, I definitely think he has a shot. Because if you look at, and look, it's been a a few years since I really looked at his case. But I like Brian Mitchell's case. I think he led the NFL four different seasons in all-purpose yardage. Um, uh, he, for a long time, he was the standard bearer among punt return guys in the NFL. And then he had a little bit of a renaissance, uh, later in his career returning kicks too. Right. Um, so he did it, he, he, you know, Brian Mitchell among all time returners is like the lifetime achievement award, right? You know, he, he, he I, I just think he is absolutely uh, absolutely deserving of strong consideration, just because he did it at a high level for a long time. Usually, John, you know what you see? You see these guys; they're like meteors st- streaking across the sky. Right? <laughs> you know, they last for a year or two, um, or, or maybe three, four, right. or five years. But they don't last for whatever Brian did it—like thirteen years right. or whatever it was. Um, and you know. Here's the other thing I like about Brian Mitchell's case. Okay. If you look at it and I'm going to be wrong on the dates here, he played whatever it was from 90 to whatever, like 13 years, whatever it was. But if you look at the beginning of his career, returning kicks and returning punts. Okay. And you look at the end of his career, he had like an 11 or 12 year run of near dominance yeah. at, at a, at a, and yes, it is a niche position niche in thing, you know, the return game. I get that. But the other thing about his career that I think is so interesting is that how about all the years that they needed him in the running game? Yeah. I mean, in the, you know, you look at some of those years, you know, he's rushing it 70 or 80 times. Yeah for a good average, yeah. <laughs> you know, his, his yards per carry was good. And the other thing he did that I think is so cool is, you know, you could rely on him to be almost like an option quarterback, Yep, you know, cause he had a very good arm and they weren't afraid to use it. And, you know, he, I don't know how many passes he threw in his career, not many, but he was a threat in that way. So I don't know. I think he is really one of the unique players to consider of all the guys in, uh, you know, in the in, in Hall of Fame consideration.
0: Peter, I greatly appreciate your time.
1: Thank you very much for joining me, John. No, no problem. I enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: That's it for this episode. Thanks to Peter for joining me, and thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back on Wednesday after watching the Commander's OTA practice. We'll talk to you next time.